Good morning. My name's Andy, and I'm glad to be here. Nice to meet you all. I'm going to get my tech set up, though, because then I can time how long I talk, and we won't be late to lunch. Yeah, that's right. Uh, there we go. Wait a second. There we go. Pastor Phil not here? I was going to give him a compliment, but... Well, I, just, I should just say this, you know, he was talking about his grandkid, and you should find him. He has really good parenting advice. When we had Evan, our first uh, child, he's four years old now, uh, Pastor Phil pulled me aside very, very quietly and somberly. He said, you know, I just want to let you know, like, you need to, and this really fits with the theme, redeeming the time. He said, you really need to, to make the most of all those moments with your children, um, there's one among all those moments that's really important. If you want to have a good talk with your kid, I've had some of my best talks in these moments, uh, so make the most of them. Don't, don't let them go to waste. So when, wh what do you mean? He said, well, when you're changing their diaper. <laughs> what? <laughs> and I thought he was, I'm waiting for him to crack a smile. Nope, he's dead serious. They're a captive audience. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Phil. <laughs> um, okay, harsh segue back to where we are. Uh, we're going to talk this week about our new life in Christ, foundations for Christian growth. And so uh, I'll tell you a quick story, which is a baseball-themed story, which kind of goes along with the testimony earlier. I played baseball. How many of you are baseball players, not watchers? Okay, some. Yeah, it's not as popular as it used to be. How many of you have seen baseball, though? Okay, a few more. This I should have maybe picked a different illustration, but... There's uh, this thing that goes on in baseball. If you're running, like you, you get a hit or you get on base and then you're on first base here, your coach is across at third base and he gives you signs to tell you what to do. And so, you know, I'm 10 years old and with 10-year-olds, you gotta be a little creative. You gotta be able to catch the sign. And a lot of times, they, you're 10, you know, you miss the sign. And so he tried to make them easy. If you're at the bat and he wanted you to bunt, and so he wanted to tell the runner it was gonna be a bunt, then he would grab the bill of his hat, Bill Bunt. It's easy to remember. And then if you're on base and he wants you to steal, he would touch his skin on his arm. Skin, steal. It's easy to remember. If he wanted you to not swing at the pitch, no matter what it was, he would touch his tongue for take. It was really cool. And so I'm on first base, but the rule was that if you're going to go to steal, if you, you know, if you think you can steal, but you're going to get thrown out, then don't steal because it's not worth it. So I'm on first base. I am not the fastest kid. Even in baseball, I had a seminary physique like I do today. So I was not a quick boy. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, you know, leading off a little bit. And he's, you know, and the best part is they do like, you know, it's like he's doing the Macarena or something. You know, and he's doing all this kind of disguise his, you know, and then. You know, that's how it goes with 10-year-olds. You know, you try to mess everyone up and then don't miss the sign. <laughs> so, you know, and then you can just see. <laughs> if this was like pro baseball, you know, whoever's up in the stands with the video would be like, he's going to do something. Oh, he's going to do something. Sorry, my mic. So, you know, I'm like, oh, I got to steal. So, you know, pitch. And I get ready to turn, and the catcher, it's like one of those, he, he picks it up, and he's already ready to throw the ball. And I'm like, oh, can't. Ooh. Not going to make it here. Okay, not doing this. So, back to first base. And I think my coach is going to be so proud I made a good decision. And I look over there, and he's like, you know that meme, that guy who's like, or the gif or jif, well, how do you say that? And I'm like, wait, oh, that's, I thought he'd be happier. So I lead off a little, you know. Whew. I'm like, oh, he's telling me to steal again, but this guy is okay. Maybe he's on, okay. So I get off pitch, catcher, he's ready, and I'm like, I mean, I took maybe one step, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to make it, go right back to the base, I'm like, this is so great, so many times I try to steal and get called out, but this time I'm being responsible, I look over, <laughs> wow, that is, I thought by now he'd be like smiling, like good job. So I kind of, you know, I'm a little, something's off. I know something's wrong. I'm leading off. Same thing happens. Oh, I can't make it. Go back. 
this time, his eyes are getting wider. Steal! Sorry. I'm sorry, but I forgot about that. I'm so sorry. Do any of you have eardrums left? I am Austin. I'm sorry about that. So I'm like totally confused, but I'm like, I'm just going to do what he says. And I steal. And I mean, the catcher has the ball. I'm like in slow motion. It's like the contenders. Why is he not throwing the ball? I get all the way to second base. I should have been thrown out long ago. There was a guy on third. You see, now, okay, baseball players understand this. I was the decoy. He knew I'm fat. He knew I can't make it to second. He didn't think I was, I'm like the, uh, you know, you send like the cannon fodder out and then you put the special forces over here. Like, I'm just the guy going. And so I get there and I realize he wanted me to get thrown out because if I got thrown out, the guy on third would have gone home and scored. I thought I was being responsible. I thought I was doing what my coach wanted me to do. I thought I was being the most judicious, like, person ever. And actually, in the end, I thought I was doing the right thing, and I just didn't understand what my coach wanted me to do. If I had understood the plan, I would've, it would have made sense. I would have gone the first time. I wouldn't have yelled in your faces with this mic. Um, it would have gone well. And so um, this week, we want to talk about God's plan for how we change as Christians. I think that at least for me, I look at my life from time to time and I, I have this picture of what it should look like. And then I look at my life and I say, man, it is not, the gap between what it should be and where I am is, is there's, a, there's a big bridge there that needs to be built. And so this week, we want to lay out just some foundations for that bridge. The whole Bible is about changing, it's about knowing the Lord, it's about uh, becoming the Christian through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are supposed to be. But sometimes we don't understand God's plan. And so this week we want to do that. <clears throat> we're going to be in three passages all week primarily. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. So you can turn to Ephesians 4 verse 17. Okay. And today we're going to talk about walking in Christ. And so what does that mean to walk in Christ? Um, all, of the, all of the messages are going to be themed around the new life uh, on the next three messages after this, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, and then the last day will be in Galatians chapter 5. So let's begin, and let's read the text together. You can, I'll read, and you can follow along. Verse 17. <clears throat> now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become calloused and they have given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, that you have put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And you are being renewed in the spirit of your minds and you have put off the old self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands, so that me, he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fit, <clears throat> fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander uh, be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God forgave you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We pray that you would bless our time in your word today, Father. I pray that the word uh, would do its work through the Holy Spirit in our minds and in our hearts today. 
Father, I pray that you'd help me to be clear uh, in the text, and I pray that those who are here uh, would understand what is being said, that we all might glorify you and love you more. In your son's name we pray, amen. So if we're to walk in Christ, the way we'll set up our talk today is we'll ask, how do we do that? And how does Ephesians answer that question? How do we walk in Christ? How do we live the way he wants us to live? Well, the first uh, way the text answers that question, first of all, is by not living like an unbeliever. By not living like an unbeliever. Now, this raises an interesting question because my Bible doesn't say that. And yours doesn't either. My Bible starts off and it says, Now I say this and I testify in the Lord. And when Paul says that, he's saying, you know, It's not just me, Paul, saying this, but by the way, if Paul said it, that would be enough. I mean, it's Paul. But it's Paul and the Lord speaking. So this has God's authority behind it. Now, what is the command he gives them? It's not a positive, like, go and do this, right? It's actually something they should stop doing. He says that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. (sighs) Those evil Gentiles. I don't like Gentiles. They're bad. We should all be like the Jews. We should walk like the Jews, right? Is that, now, is that what the text is saying? Well, that's the thing. In, in the culture in Ephesus, the city was a Gentile city. A Gentile, by the way, is anyone who's not a Jew. So I would, I would guess most of us here today are Gentiles, at least by the flesh, as Paul is saying here. So why would Paul say don't live like the Gentiles? What he was saying is, look at the culture around you, believers in Ephesus, look at the way they are living. And you know what? You shouldn't be living that way. That's, that's what you should not be doing. Now, what would the Gentile culture have been known for? Well, he goes on to explain it right here. But before he does, I just want to say a quick word. He could have said, don't live like the unbelievers around you. Now, unbelievers that I know eat bread. Should I not eat bread? Is Paul saying don't live like an unbeliever and eat bread? Well, if you're, if you need, if you're gluten intolerant, that's good advice. That's not what the Bible is saying here. What he's going to say next is that all of these, ver- these vices that are listed characterize people who don't know Christ. So you can think of this platform, stage, you can think of it like there's a line right up the center. And we'll just pretend that over here is the life of someone who doesn't know Christ, who's doesn't know the Lord, hasn't been forgiven, is living just like a natural person would live. Their goals are what a natural, unbelieving person would have for goals. Their desires this way. The, the practices they have are over here. And on the other side, this is the life that would characterize someone who knows Christ, who's been saved by his power, who's been forgiven by, of, by Christ of their sins, who has been indwelled with the Holy Spirit and is being renewed day by day. What's interesting is that Paul is telling people who are on this side of the equation. He's saying, believers, if you want to walk in Christ, don't live like an unbeliever. Now, he could say anything here. He he doesn't have to say Gentile, but that was their culture. Maybe we could do it like this. Let's say Paul was writing it to us. Maybe he says this. Beloved, I say to those of you at Family Camp 4, I and the Lord that you must no longer live as Iowans. Now, those of you who are from out of state are like, yeah, they drive terrible in Iowa. You know, I know, give us a grace. Uh, But why would he say, is there something wrong about living in Iowa? Well, no, but it might be like the culture around you, the Iowan culture. Is there things that are wrong about the culture that we live in? Yeah, that's all he's talking about. He can say, don't live like the atheists. Don't live like a secular humanist. Don't live like a Catholic. He can name any group that is apart from Christ, that characterizes who he's talking to. So this is not particularly for us today because we can't be like the Gentiles. It's specifically more talking about the fact that we shouldn't be characterized by the mode of living that characterizes someone who's never known Christ. Now, what does that look like? Because again, I said, you know, unbelievers eat bread. Can I eat bread? Well, he goes on to explain it so we know. So what does it look like? He says, number one, don't walk like the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now, I want to make an observation. Notice all the words that come up here that are, 
We might think of them as like thinking terms or intellectual ideas or comprehensive ideas. It's a lot of your inner thoughts, your inner desires that he's discussing. He says, don't live like them in the futility of your minds. Well, what is futile? Like, what does futility mean? Uh, It's when something, like, no matter how hard you try, it's just not going to work. Okay? It's like me trying to steal a base with my physique. It's futile if it's a really good catcher. No matter how hard I try, no matter what I do, it's not going to work. If you're a Star Trekkie, it's like trying to oppose the Borg. Resistance is futile. Like four of you get that? Okay, all right. (laughs) Seminary physique, nerd, okay. But I like coffee, okay. Um, So futile, it's like a waste of time. It's like empty. No matter what I do, it's not going to be of effect. What is he saying is empty about these people who don't know Christ? It's their way of thinking. When they think through the world, when they think through life, when they try to come to decisions and judgments about what they should live their life for, no matter what they do, they're never going to come up with a solid answer that's going to satisfy God. In fact, only by being able to cross this line and know Christ can we have Christ's mind, and then with his values and understandings, we can begin to live life in a way that pleases God. And that's what we're going to talk about pretty much for the rest of the week. But right here, Paul is saying, look, when you order your life, when you decide what you value, what you hope for, what you live for, what you long for, don't let it be the things that people who don't know Christ live for and long for and hope for and desire. Those people can't get the right answer because their minds are broken. And I should say, it's not just their mind, mind. It's when Paul says mind, he's talking about your whole inner person. So I know unbelievers who are really intelligent, far more intelligent than I am. That's not the kind of mind Paul has in mind here. Sort of an intended but not intended pun there. Okay, but he goes on to really make this clear. He says, don't live like them because they live in the futility of their minds. Verse 18 says they are darkened in their understanding. So if something's dark, this actually just happened last night. This is a good story. When you're dark, you can't really see. Captain Obvious, I know. So we're in our room, we're getting ready, and my daughter's in there, she's like one, and uh, I'd put some coverings up on the window to make it darker, because if you have small children, you know that's helpful. By the way, five millimeter tarps doubled over, oh, excellent, with frog tape, so it doesn't take the stuff off the walls if Pastor Dave is listening. Uh, yeah, and so I turn the light off to test it, and Robin's in there, and Evan and Abby, and I'm like, yeah, this is, this is pretty dark, and Robin's like, yeah, and I'm like, yeah, I don't, I'm like looking, and Robin's like, babe, babe, turn the, babe, turn the light, ah, my daughter starts freaking out, and I realize it's pitch black, you could hold your hand up and not see, so that's the kind of darkness here, now what is darkened? Their understanding, you see, the unbeliever they can be really smart and many, they have many good qualities. I'm not trying to trash people who don't know God. But when it comes to truly understanding life, no matter what they do, their ability to understand is darkened because of the power of sin that is not yet broken in their life. And Paul is saying, don't live the way they do. He says don't walk, but walk is like a metaphor for live. It's like a picture, like walking is something you're constantly doing in life. Don't live like them. It goes on to say that they are alienated from the life of God. Alienated means to be distant, to be far off. And in fact, if you go back to Ephesians 2.13, this was all of our situation. So if you're a believer today, if you know the Lord, if he's forgiven you, this is you. Verse uh, 11 in chapter 2 says, Therefore remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. You were unbelievers. You were apart from God. Called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. That's just Jewish uh, metaphors for saying you used to be not a part of God's community. Which is, uh, and even God's community at the time, they weren't totally believers. They were living on their own. They were trying to save themselves by their own works. Verse 12 says, Remember that at that time you were separated. There was distance between you and God. There was a separation between you. From Christ, you were alienated. You were distant from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers. You were not familiar. You were not friendly toward the covenants of promise. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. But now, in Christ, 
you who were once far off were brought near through the blood of Christ. It's a very fitting picture. Before we're saved, we're distant. God, maybe God's over there. Apparently, that's the good side of the stage. I didn't, you know, intend that. And uh, Maybe this should be the good side of the stage because this awesome guitar is here. Um, but you're far off, right? And you're distant from God. You don't know him, so no matter what you try to do, you can't really get life right. Have you ever felt that way? Because as a believer, there can be times where we're over here and we just feel like we're getting life wrong. Paul is saying the way to get life right, the way to walk in a way that pleases God, is number one, to not live your life the way an unbeliever does. I'd ask, let's ask ourselves the question today, like, what does your life look like? If you stepped back and said, which side of the stage does my life look like it's more characterized by? I think that'd be a good question to ask ourselves. We can kind of float back and forth sometimes, but some of us, maybe our lives have always looked like we're over here. There may be some of us today who haven't, what we're about to talk about, this hasn't happened yet. So I'd, I'd say, pay attention, listen up to what Paul says next. So first of all, you need to not live the old way, like an unbeliever. Secondly, you need to remember your transformation in Christ. Your transformation in Christ. <clears throat> Sorry, we just skipped over a huge section of verses. Let me go back a little to verse 19. There's another description, so that whole first section is how a unbeliever thinks and looks at the world and values. Verse 19, it says, this is how they act. Because of that, they become callous. Now, here's our first not thinking idea word. Do you notice that? We had understanding, comprehension, darkened mind, futile mind. Now we have their calloused. That means like they can't feel. I have calluses on my hand. They're not very big. But when I worked at a shop where there were some mechanics, anyone who is a mechanic, if you're here and you're a mechanic, you know calluses, okay? Your hands have them built up. I worked with a, um, an auto mechanic. We had the hottest water coming out of the hand washing station in our shop of anywhere. The water heater was literally mounted right here, and it was like two feet right to the sink. And they had it cranked up full. So all of us wash boys, I was like a high schooler, wash cars, We'd go up to wash our hands, but if this one mechanic was there, you stopped. Because he would turn on just the hot and wash it with like, it was like magma, like lava coming out. And you would, you would go up and accidentally use the water he was using once, but it never happened again. Why was he able to do that? He'd been a mechanic for like 22 years, and he had probably grabbed more blazing hot exhaust pipes and manifolds and engine covers than anyone else. Well, over time, that built up pads of dead skin on his hands. So he could touch stuff, and it wouldn't hurt him like it would hurt us. When Paul says the unbeliever has become calloused, that conscience that God built into us to know what is right and what is wrong, what we should do and what we shouldn't, is broken. Or it's seared, or it's like, diminished, it's darkened, it's not doing what it ought to do. And this leads to all kinds of sinful practices. They have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. So that's the Gentile life. Now, what is the second thing? We should remember our transformation. <clears throat> he says, but this is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard of him and that you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And we'll pause really quick. I think what this is talking about is the moment that you got saved and what happened. See, the word there for learned Christ, it doesn't say learned about Christ. It says you learned Christ. I can learn about something and I can learn something. You learn about it, it's kind of like you understand it, it's out there, I get it. If you learn something, that means you can like do it, you can understand it and comprehend it and accomplish it. Well, it's not like Christ is a task, but the idea here Paul is saying is, you, believers in Ephesus, in this Gentile world that's against God, that's living against God, you, when you came to know Christ, it wasn't through those ways, was it? In fact, when you became a Christian, you learned that this entire way of living is the reason you stand condemned before God. God saved you from that through his son's death on the cross. So why then 
would you ever forget that and think that that way of living is how you ought to keep living? Paul's reminding them of what has happened to them when they got saved long ago. He goes on to say, and this is what you have learned. Um, You didn't get saved by living the way the world would say. You got saved by hearing the truth that is in Jesus. In fact, all these practices and this whole lifestyle, what did you get from that? Romans, in Romans, Paul says in chapter 6, verse 21, he says, he actually asks a question kind of about this. He says, what fruit, like what profit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. I think it's the same idea right here. Paul is saying, remember, when you got saved, it was not, beca- not for these things. It was because you did these things. None of these things made your life, in God's eyes, better. None of these things, in God's eyes, made you acceptable to him. In fact, this is the reason Christ had to come for you, to die for you, to be your sacrifice for you. Paul is telling them, don't forget that. Now, I would ask you today, has that happened yet? Now, I understand uh, we have adults and we have some younger ones here, but I would ask everyone, you know, I'm not assuming that everyone in the room, just because you've attended church or been in church or grown up in a church, believes that Christ is the only way to heaven. Many people, as we heard earlier, will grow up in the church and go through the motions, and they know they don't believe, and they haven't told anybody. Today, if that's you, the Bible is saying that this type of living, this place that you're inhabiting, will give you nothing. And in the end, it will give you death. If you have been saved, you know the joy. You know the relief that a Savior came and died in your place so you don't have to pay for these sins that you rightly deserve to pay for. He paid for you, and he brought you from that kingdom of darkness over here into this kingdom of light. But if that's you, and you want to walk according to him in a way that pleases him, you have to remember the transition that took place. You're not that person anymore. You're on this side of the equation. He goes on to explain some key truths that they were taught when they got saved. He says this, He says, verse 21, assuming that you've heard about him and you've learned about him, just the truth is in Christ. Verse 22, that you have put off your old self, which is, you could say, the former manner of life, and it is corrupted through deceitful desires. So I'm going to talk about this side of the stage again. When you got saved, this person that you were, this way of living, it got evaporated, eviscerated, it got destroyed. It was put off. The idea there is like you take clothes off. So, if I had a jacket on right now, and I were to, I've done this before, you take the jacket off, you pull this arm off, you take it all the way off and you just let it hang here on your arm, and I put my arms up and I said, is my jacket, is my jacket off? You'd see it hanging on just this little bit of my arm and you wouldn't be able to say yes. You'd say, well, it's almost off. And the point here is with this idea here, Paul is saying you took it off completely. It's like you changed your whole outfit and you don't even look like the old person anymore. So this whole way of life has been taken off like an old change of clothes. It's not who you are anymore. It doesn't characterize you. That's not your identity. You have a new identity. You have a new life and it's in Christ. So you put off, this is like a, you've done this. It's done, it's over with. And then it says that you're being renewed in the spirit of your minds and you have, that you have put on the new life. So it's a new life that you're living now. You're not the same old person. But sometimes we do feel like that same old person, don't we? That's that's not ideal, that's not good, that's not okay, but it's possible, and that's why Paul is writing to them. He's saying, if you're over here, if you've been saved, if you put your trust in Christ, and you're not growing like you are, like you want to be, like you know you should, Make sure you're not living like that old person. Man, I, that happens all the time to me. I'm sure it happens all the time to you. You get saved, you come to know the Lord, and then you just kind of slide back into living like this old self that you used to, used to be. You're not this person. And it is foundational to remember 
that you're different. Now again, I just want to say that if you've grown up in the church, or maybe you're a guest here today and you're not a believer, this is your life over here. You haven't made that transition. So no matter how hard you try to clean the outside of that cup, it's not going to get clean. Paul is saying, if you're a believer, you've already made this change. You're not this person. You're this person over here. And do you know what? There's something interesting about those two. I'm not trying to get too grammary here. But the, the commentaries, you can get commentaries that will help you understand the Bible, and I would recommend that. Uh, something I think believers don't do far enough at all is they don't study the Bible as, you know, as deep as they can. Well, these verbs here, this to put off and to put on and to be renewed, the ideas behind what Paul is saying is that this putting off has already happened. And this putting on has already taken place. But the inner renewal is something that's continuously happening over and over if we choose not to walk like that old person. And if we humble ourselves and trust in the Lord and seek his wisdom. So that's a continuous process. But the put off, put on, that's done. It's over with. You're a new person. So if you want to learn to walk in Christ, you've got to stop living like the Gentiles. Secondly, you've got to remember that you're not who you used to be. And remember the transformation that Christ has worked in your life. So the question for you is, have you been transformed by Christ? You should ask yourself that question. All right, lastly, the passage then goes on to say that the way you ought to walk in Christ is by living like this new life, according to this new life. What you could say here is, I have a different position. You know, before I was saved, my position was in this side, over in the kingdom of darkness, as an unbeliever, apart from God, alienated from his life. But when I got saved, my position, my identity changed. And he took me and put me over here. And I am not the same person. I feel like it some days. I act like it some days. But I am not the same person. The power of sin is broken. The influence is still there. The, the flesh is here, but the spirit is here also. But I need to choose to live this way. So I need to take my position and make my actions, my way of living, match my new position. Uh, he, he now, he takes this and makes it incredibly practical. He says there's been this positional change that took place in your life, hopefully. The people he was talking to it had taken place. Now, walk, live out this, this new position. And he tells you what that looks like. And it's really neat because he says, get rid of the old ways of living, put on or start embodying these new ways of living, and then remember how it said your mind is being renewed, your thoughts, your understanding, your will, your desires? He also does that. It's great. So, verse 25, you could go through this, and there's a ton of examples. We're going to pick three to camp out on, and we'll talk about those to give us an illustration, but I would recommend that you meditate through this in your devotions. I know this week we have family devotions, but put it on the list. Put a reminder in your phone. Ask Siri to remind you uh, to go back and reread these because it's a great example of that's how you used to live. That's who you used to be. You're not that person anymore. So, so live in this way that's according to your new nature. Verse 25, the first example he gives is that of falsehood. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You can see the three parts to this equation right there. He says, put off falsehood. Okay, falsehood, lying, deception, uh, you know, shading your taxes, right? You go in and you say you learn just a little less than you did to get in the next bracket, whether it's true or not. Or someone asks you a question, hey, did uh, whatever, whatever, and you, you answer truthfully, but you don't tell the whole truth because if you just say this one part, they won't suspect that you did this other thing. Then there could be out and out, like, you're embezzling money. You're completely lying to your spouse and you're having an affair. Or you're looking at porn. Or you, who knows what it is, but there's a falsehoodness in your life. Lying, deception, two-facedness, being duplicitous. That is a picture of that old person you used to be, that you are not anymore. So he says, put it off. Take that piece of clothing off and get rid of it because that's not who you are anymore. And then he says, rather speak truth to your neighbor. 
That's the way we ought to live because that lines up with our new position. But he doesn't leave you there. He doesn't just say, don't do this and do this. It's not just these lists. It is a list of commands, by the way. It is a list of do's and don'ts. But he gives you the why. He says, because, and this is what renews our mind, we are members, we are neighbors, members one another. Paul was writing to a church. And the great thing about the church is that it's less like a business and more like a body. It's less like a business and more like a family. There's all kinds of people in my church that I am like and not like. My church happens to have a lot of uh, farmers and people like that, and I grew up in the city playing video games, and I was a total nerd, okay? Sometimes I don't have a lot to talk about, but other times we both like football, we both like this, and we have a lot to talk about. But no matter what I feel or think or experience in those people I'm around at my local body of Christ, they're my family. You shouldn't lie to your family because you're all a family together. When you were over here, they weren't your family. It's just your direct family, whoever. But now that you're saved, those are your brothers and sisters. You know those uh, churches sometimes people mock them a little bit, where everyone in the church is brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Hey, brother, blah, blah, hey, brother, brother. You know, they do that, and you, sometimes people make fun of that. It's actually theologically really good because everyone in the church really is now a spiritual brother or spiritual sister. We're now one family, and you don't lie to your family, at least if you want to get along well with your family and show your family love. So you get rid of the old way of living. You live in accordance to the new way because you're new. You're in a new family. All right, that's lying. Let's, let's do another one. We'll go on. Verse 26, be angry and don't sin. By the way, it's not commanding you to be angry. It's saying when you get angry, because it's going to happen, at least don't get into sinning. Okay, now some things you should be angry at, but he's more saying those times when you just get ready to lose your temper, don't sin. And if you do, don't let the sun go down on that festering anger before it becomes bitterness and gives Satan an opportunity. He says, uh, uh, verse 28, this is the next one, stealing. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing an honest work with his own hands, that he may have something to give to share with the one who is in need. The old life, the old person that you used to be, the old way of looking, man, you need something, you want something, you just go and take it. Uh, I remember, this is embarrassing, and I feel bad about this, when I was six, I had a G.I. Joe action figure. Anyone here? I mean, I'm old. Anyone have G.I. Joes? Some of you at least? Okay, like seven this time. Yes! This is old school. This is like before The Rock was in it. Okay, this is like way back. And there were these one, this one character that was like a bad guy who was a robot. And you know you're six, so this is cool. And his neat claim to fame is he had a backpack and he had robotic hands that you could switch. So he had like a regular hand and he had like a big claw because that's going to help you in a battle. Then he had like a punching thing, I don't know, and like, a, like a laser or something. And I had lost the hand. And I loved the hand. That was my favorite because I could hold the gun. So I was over at this kid's house. I kind of knew him. My mom was friends with his mom. And he had the same character, and his character had the hand. And I'm not kidding. I'm six. No one had to teach me how to be this deceptive. I was like, hey, such and such. Uh, what is that poster over there about on your wall? Is that, what is that? And he, as soon as he turns around, I pocketed the hand. That's stealing. That's, I wasn't saved. Actually, I think I was saved, but I was living like I shouldn't have. But that kind of, I just take what I want. And this happens all the time. You want something, and sometimes you think you need it, and you just take it. Well, that is against God's commands. In fact, you already know that. Because God's built into us the conscience that tells us what's right and wrong. And it was funny, because I'm six. No one had to teach me to deceive. I knew it from my heart from my first day. As soon as I took that and it was in my pocket, oh man, did I feel guilty. I never did anything about it. I did a really good job of searing off my conscience that day. I never did anything about it, but I knew. I knew it was wrong. And what Paul is saying is the thief is actually the embodiment of selfishness. Your life, no matter what you say you're doing and what you're not doing, is centered on living for yourself, on getting what you want. 
making yourself happy, making yourself safe, making yourself uh, successful, and you're willing to aim at that and seek that and desire that goal even to the point of breaking God's command to not take other people's possessions. And Paul is saying, hey, thieves, because in, in Ephesus, there were surely thieves. There were no security cameras back then. Did you know that? In the first century, they didn't have those yet, so it was pretty easy to steal things. Sometimes you get your hand cut off, not like the G.I. Joe there. So don't steal. What should you do instead? Do you notice that he doesn't say don't steal, but stop stealing? No. He says don't steal, instead work hard. Why? So you can make a lot of money? No. Specifically work hard as part of this new life that's unselfish and lives for others and wants to help your fellow brothers and sisters in the church and outside the church work hard, earn a lot of money so that you have extra money to give to people who need some. Do you see the unselfishness that characterizes this kind of life? You work. You work really hard. You try to be really successful, but not so you can build a big, fat bank account, although that's great if you can do that, so that you can take that big, fat bank account and bless other people. And I think specifically in the household of faith, but places like this camp, maybe your neighbor whose car broke and you don't know them, you could go help them out with that. Think of the opportunities to share the love of Christ by taking that money you're hoarding and not using it on yourself, but using it for other people. Do you see the contrast? This is selfishness. This is selflessness. Why do we do this? Because this is who we are now. Not just because it's right and wrong, it's because it's who you are. So, put off lying. Put on speaking the truth because we love one another and we're family. Put off stealing. Don't be selfish. Put on working really hard so you have extra to give to those who need. Now, you can keep going down. He doesn't always tell you the the bad practice, the contrary practice, and the renewal idea, but he does it again a couple of times, and we'll pick one more. Verse 29, he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up, as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. When I was in sixth grade, I didn't particularly care for being at middle school. At the lunchroom table, everything I said, whether it was or wasn't, became a dirty joke. Maybe those of you who we're in middle school, you know what I'm talking about. I say something I did last night, I don't know what it is, and everyone starts laughing and snickering. Why? Something I said can be turned into an innuendo. Something I said can remind you of some part of your body. And it was terrible. I hated it. I, I felt like I couldn't talk. And those friends were not particularly nice to me. They were ready to tear me down and make fun of me and tell me how bad I was. And I was able to learn to deal with that by doing the same thing back. So pretty soon, we were all making fun of each other. We're all ripping on each other. We would say we're joking, but it was just the excuse to be able to do it. When you become a Christian, you cast off the life that wants to tear people down, and you begin in a position where you are here to help one another, to build one another's up. And I'll give you the contrast in my own life. Uh, in seventh grade, I started attending a different church, and the youth group was really vibrant, and there were a lot of really good and godly uh, kids in that youth group. And I remember thinking for the first time, I met people who I can be open with, I can be honest with, and I can just talk in front of, and they're not going to constantly try to use my words to make fun of me. And oddly enough, that was really encouraging, and God used it uh, in the youth group to build up my faith. How do, how do our, how do I, how would a, if someone were to say, hey, I've listened to you talk for a week, would they characterize you as a, like a corrupting speech person? Or would they characterize you as someone who's trying to build one another up? Um, I, now, this building up, by the way, is not always the power of positive thinking or positivity or always saying nice things. Uh, I remember one time I was particularly angry at one of my friends. And I, I was a little bit festering about it. He was kind of a jerk. And we were sitting on his tailgate one day, and we we're talking, and I thought, I'm just going to tell him. And I'm a believer, he's a believer, we're both headed to ministry. And I turned to him, and I said, such and such, 
you know, sometimes you can be a real jerk. Now, I said that because I was angry at him, and I wanted to tell him, and I wanted it to hurt a little. But there was a part of me that really wanted someone to say it to him because he needed to hear. And he, I don't think at the time he really reacted that made me think he heard. But we saw each other recently. We hadn't seen each other for like a decade or so. And he said, you know, Andy, I don't know if you remember this, but this, you know, one time you said this to me, and I just want to let you know that I needed to hear that. I really did. Now, he was my brother in Christ, and he was actually living in a sin of being rude to people and unkind. And by me doing that, I was actually helping to build him up I was trying to tear him down, though, because I was angry at him. But the point is that our words should help build up our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, sometimes that looks like confronting someone on sin, and other times it looks like encouraging someone who's faint-hearted. It, sometimes it, helps, it looks like crying with someone who's crying right now. Weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. Um, he goes on to say that it would give grace to those who hear, as it fits, it says, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. There's a proverb that says, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a fitly spoken word at the right time. When I think of a golden apple, I think of that teaching award, the golden apple award that's always on KCCI or whatever. But imagine you had a solid gold apple in a setting of silver. What's a setting? Well, it's probably like a silver tray. Do you see how that'd be a very ornate item on a very beautiful display? What he's saying is that the right word said to a person at the right time is like that beautiful pair of a gold apple on a silver tray. But sometimes when someone's weeping and crying, what you need to do is come alongside them and weep with them. That's what the Bible says. But if you walk up to them and say, look, Job had it worse than you. You need to you know, pull yourself up a little here, okay? You know? Can you... <laughs> Can you imagine how that would feel if that was you? That would be like a, a, a golden apple, like legitimate truth of the Bible that they're going to need to hear one day, put on a styrofoam plate. You see, it doesn't match. Or it'd be like a really nice saucer, a beautiful little serving tray with a nice little ornate tea kettle or coffee, maybe coffee carafe better, better coffee carafe. And then, and if you drink coffee, you know how bad this is, a styrofoam coffee cup. I mean, it just makes it taste bad. It does. So the point here is that the new life, this new person we are, is a person who builds each other up in love at the right time. It's a different life. It should look different, not because, yes, because we're commanded, but because primarily, ontologically, to get like very technically, we are different people. Now you can go on in chapter 5, and you can go all the way down through about 21, and you're going to notice these, get rid of this, start being like this because. Get rid of this, start being like this because. You're going to notice that pattern a lot. And it's actually all over the Bible. But to step back, if you want to walk the new life that you've been given, you have to begin to purposely start living the way that the new life looks and not living like that old person. Okay, so we want to eat. Let's go almost eat. Uh, let, I want to leave you with, every day I'm going to try to leave you with a couple of questions to ask yourself. And I would just say that try to take these with you throughout the day. Maybe read them after lunch or maybe think about them. Or, you know, if you're on a zip line and you're about to go plummet to your fate and your doom, you know, maybe be like, you know, what is my life like? Is this the old way of living? And then, you know, take that jump right off the ledge and hope you don't die and uh, you know, just do that, or you're on the, you're on the blob, and you're, you're sitting there getting ready to get thrown in the air, and you're like, you know, what is the life that I was saved from? Is that what my life looks like? Oh, you don't go flying off the blob, but, but Deuteronomy says that you should learn these things, you should teach these truths to your kids just throughout the day as you're doing, your, you're doing what you're doing, and I would say that maybe take this thought, these thoughts, and throughout your day at camp, have a great time, but be thinking about these. So, first question. And this is to those of you who are Christians, who are believers, who know Christ and he saved you. What does your life, uh, or does, where does your life look like the old way of living, the life that you were saved from? Because the big command that Paul gives is not to live like that old way of life. There's the implication that we should now live the new way. But the big point he makes is don't go back to living that old way. So ask yourselves, I'll ask myself, where does my life look like? that old way of living. And remember, it's not just when you used to be an axe murderer drug dealer. Okay? 
we usually, we tend to think of like the big things, but like, I mean, I used to cheat all the time in high school on quizzes. Like that was just normal. You copy your neighbor's work. And I get to Bible college and it's like hearing all this Bible text taught and it's a verse quiz and I cheat right on the verse quiz. And it's the first time ever I get totally convicted. I had to go tell the teacher. I thought I was getting kicked out of faith. It was bad. I didn't, thankfully. And then here's another question. For those of you who may not yet know Christ, may not have been saved, uh, if you're a guest or you're new, you're here with a friend, or, or maybe, maybe you're in a family that's Christian and you're not, and no one knows it yet, and you're putting up an act, have you been transformed? Would you like to be? Because this doesn't cost a thing. It'll change your life, but you don't have to ascend a mountain. You don't have to pay every last dollar because someone else has already, in your place, paid your way in here. Ask yourself this week, would you want in on this? Do you want to have new life and not have to keep living this old life? That's, it's like chains around you. It's like shackles on you. It's like dragging you down. Would you like to be changed? You can be. Talk to me. Talk to Pastor Mike. Talk to musician Nihilus, music teacher Nihilus. Talk to any program staff. Talk to Pastor Betts. Talk to your friend who brought you. That's why we're here this week. Because you can't grow in the Christian life until you get straight on how you become a Christian. And if you're not yet a Christian, you can't grow. All right, let's uh, mercifully pray, and then we'll have some announcements and go eat some food. Father, we love you. Thank you for today, Lord. Pray for us today. I pray that as we go and eat lunch, that it would be refreshing, enjoyable, that we would have a good time with each other at the lunch table. Father, I pray uh, for those of us who are believers that we would take an inventory this week and ask if our lives look like the old position we had before we were saved. Are we going back to those old practices, Father? Are we going back to those old sins? Are we living according to the old value system and the old desires that we used to have before Christ saved us and changed us. And Father, I pray for those today here who are not yet believers, who have heard of this for a long time. They're, maybe they're resisting for some reason. Uh, maybe they've been lying to themselves. I pray, Father, that this week, through the Holy Spirit and through friends who will be open and speak truth to them, that they would see their need for you and turn to your Son in faith and seeking forgiveness. Father, we love you. Thank you that we're at this awesome place for an awesome week. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.